Well, as you uh, probably already knew today, and if not, hopefully you for sure now by now, uh, by now know that uh, today is Ash Wednesday, uh, and Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is a, a time during the year, each and every year, where we remember our mortality, uh, where we remember that death comes to us all, uh, that we are from the dust, and it is to the dust that we shall return. Uh, this year, very interestingly, Ash Wednesday coincides with Valentine's Day, uh, which can make for some really interesting conversations and observations, interactions. Maybe some of you have been experiencing that already. Uh, just over the past couple days, uh, there's been a particular meme that's made its way around social media. Uh, it's a picture of a candy heart, and rather than like the phrase, be mine, uh, or one of those kind of things etched into the candy heart, instead of that, it says, uh, remember the letters you are, and then the word dust, and then surrounding that is this caption that reads, hey girl, let's contemplate our mortality together. Uh, the whole thing this year as, as Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday coincided reminded me of an episode in the sitcom The Office, I don't know if you're familiar with that, where, uh, where Dwight is describing uh, some of the Shroot family traditions, and he says, we usually marry standing in our own graves. It makes the funerals very romantic, but the weddings are a bleak affair. So for whatever bleakness um, Ash Wednesday may have created for you in your romantic pursuits and endeavors, uh, really the overlap of Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day can provide us the kind of wake-up call that we all so desperately need in our relationship with God. Uh, throughout the scriptures, we have all these different pictures of the roles and responsibilities of who God is to us, his people. Some of those are powerful but less personal roles. God is creator. Uh, God is king. God is sustainer. And then there are these incredibly personal, intimate relationships that God is father, that God is friend, and one that's perhaps often overlooked, that God is lover, uh, that he is a husband or a groom, and his people are referred to as his beloved bride. So it's not that God is this uh, distant, cosmic, unfeeling force that made us and now is solely concerned that we all function the right way. When God made us, uh, he made us for himself. He made us for a relationship with him, to be sons and daughters, to be those friends, to be part of that beloved bride. During Lent, uh, we remember not only our mortality, we remember the reason for our mortality in the first place, that death comes to us all, will come to each one of us as a consequence of sin, uh, and that our mortal bodies die as a result of humanity's fall, our individual and our collective rebellion against the God who made us. But depending on your background in the church or out of the church, depending on even your personality and how you prefer to engage with God, we're all likely to really limit our, our understanding uh, of what sin is. Because in line with each of these different roles, these pictures of who God is, there are different metaphors and different images for what sin is. Uh, so God is creator, which means that sin, one definition, one understanding of sin, is to live out of line with the good design of God. It's to live out of design with the fabric of the universe. God is also king, so another understanding of sin is that it's treason, it's mutiny, rebellion uh, against our king. But one that we tend to pay less attention to God as groom, God as lover. And so sin is also described in Scripture as adultery. It's an affair 
where instead of us remaining faithful to the one who loves us, to the one who has made a covenant to be our God and we to be his people, we give ourselves, uh, we devote ourselves to other lesser loves, uh, lesser lovers that in reality are not lovers at all. They don't love us the way that God and only God loves us. The Old Testament especially is really filled with this kind of language and imagery. The entire book of Hosea, uh, for example, is about how the prophet Hosea's marriage becomes really a, a metaphor for the relationship between God and his people. But there's also a passage in the book we've been looking at together, the book of James in the New Testament, where James picks up on this idea and he calls Christians to wake up to the seriousness of their sin, specifically their adultery against the God who loves them. So I'm going to read just the first 10 verses of James chapter 4. I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then here's the key line in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is God's word. During Lent, we think about mortality. Uh, we think about sin. We also focus on repentance. Uh, and that's not because repentance is something we just do for these 40 days and then don't do that the rest of the year or the rest of our lives. But it's during these 40 days, as we remember that we are mortal, uh, as we remember that we are mortal because of sin, our own and the world's, we put this unique focus on our need to turn away from sin and to return again to God. And as I'm sure you heard, this portion of James's letter, it's all about repentance. Uh, there's one New Testament scholar that says, actually, these verses are the strongest call to repentance in all of the New Testament. And other scholars beyond him say that as this letter was distributed throughout churches across Palestine and Syria in the first century, it became, most scholars believe, incorporated into kind of a liturgy of repentance that they would do periodically when they would gather for worship. But I hope you also heard this. I hope you also heard how relationally that call to repentance is framed, especially in verses 4 and 5. That God is the jilted lover. That, that we've been unfaithful to him with our love and our devotion. And also, right behind it, that God is a rejected friend. That we have spurned his friendship uh, in favor of friendship with the world. And so what's meant to be this relationship of love, this relationship of friendship, has instead deteriorated into one of hostility uh, and enmity. This year, as Valentine's Day coincides with Ash Wednesday, I want to invite you to really think about the real people in your life that you love and have loved. Um, think about what it would feel like 
or tragically, as it's been the case probably in almost all, if not all of our lives, what it has felt like when someone else has spurned your love, uh, when someone else has rejected your friendship in favor of another person and being friends with that person. In our own unfaithfulness, when we devote ourselves to these other lesser loves instead of God, that's really exactly what we're doing in our relationship with him. And when God feels distant uh, or when God feels impersonal, when we only think about God through these lenses of these powerful but impersonal roles, we can become, and maybe you find yourself there as we begin Lent together, we can become desensitized to sin. Um, God feels distant in those roles at times. And so therefore, so also can the seriousness of our sin, the reality of our sin, feel like something distant. But when we think of God relationally, uh, when we think about how our sin affects God relationally, how it wounds him, how it pains his heart, how it creates within God this longing for restoration and reconciliation with the people that he made for himself, that can begin to reawaken and resensitize us and lead us to repentance. And here's the beautiful part. Doing this will not only resensitize us to our sin, it will also resensitize us to the depth, the real depth of God's love for us. Think about the cost that's required to repair, to restore a relationship when it breaks down like that. When a covenant, for example, like marriage, uh, is violated and broken. When a real deep friendship, for whatever number of reasons, falls apart. Many, if not every single one of us, has experienced that at least once in our lives, if not many times over. And often, and understandably, our response in those times is to turn away from that person who has hurt us like that, uh, to resign ourselves to the irreparability of that relationship. It's just going to be too hard to repair this. But what we read in James 4 is that that's not, thankfully, how God responds. When God is the jilted lover, when God is the rejected friend, he responds, as it says in verse 5, by yearning jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us. So God responds with jealousy. Uh, but unlike the jealousy that I or, or you or we are probably prone to exhibit, a vindictive kind of jealousy, um, a petty, backbiting kind of jealousy, God's jealousy is a holy jealousy. It's this perfect combination of anger and judgment at the sin that has broken and fractured the relationship, and at the very same time, mercy and grace to restore it. Without one or the other, we would be without hope in the world. Without anger and judgment of that sin, God would be a minimizer. Uh, he would be an enabler. He would shrink the offense. He would sweep it under the rug rather than actually dealing with it. But without the mercy and grace from God, it would be only bad news for us. It would only be our condemnation. And God would say something like, you want to go after another lover? So be it. You and I are done. Uh, you're dead to me now. But God's holy jealousy says both. He says, what you have done is wrong, and it's painful. But though I've been wronged, though I've been rejected, though I've been spurned, I love you too much to let you go. And I love you too much to let our relationship remain fractured and broken. Which is why after saying, right after saying, God yearns jealously, the next words that James pens in this letter are, he gives more grace. That God is going to be the one who comes after and pursues the adulterous people. God is going to be the one who comes after and pursues the estranged friends. And it's that jealousy of God that is our hope in this life. It's that jealousy of God that is our salvation. 
Lent prepares us, as we've heard tonight, for Good Friday and for Easter, where we will see the ultimate display of this jealous love of God in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So shrewds might stand in their graves when they are pledging their love to one another. Jesus shows the extent of his love by being fully laid to rest in one. He takes God's judgment against sin upon himself. He humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how far the love of God will take him. This is how far he was and is willing to go to forgive, to restore, to redeem, to reconcile our relationship with God that sin has sought and seeks to destroy. And it's this love of God that frees us, and I would invite you into this freedom, that frees us to actually look at the sin that is in our own hearts, to actually ask God to expose that, to search us, to know us, to expose us. It also frees us up to look honestly at the sin of the world and to be those who then heed the rest of this call to repentance that James lays out in the remainder of this text, to submit to God, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, to cleanse our hands, to purify our hearts, and to humble ourselves before the Lord that he might exalt us. So may we together pursue renewed faithfulness this Lenten season, resensitized, yes, to our own unfaithfulness and the ways that we are and step into that role of being adulterous people and estranged friends and enmity with God, but ultimately, even more, resensitized to the jealous love, the jealous grace of God, that God will not abandon us in our unfaithfulness, but at infinite cost to himself, truly loves us to death. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, we join with the first Christians in praising you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through whom we have received forgiveness and eternal life. Grant us, therefore, gracious Father, the grace to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on your holy word. Grant that we may remember that though we are dust, and to the dust we shall return, that we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.